We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to another edition of the Roadwire College Football Podcast. The Riley Skinner of College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 8th. We are looking ahead to week two of the college football season. Nick Whalen here, joined, as always, by my close personal friend, John McKechnie. Jonathan, how do you do? Uh, I'm doing well on, on this fine Wednesday. I mean, we got this is this really feels like everything is in motion now. You know, we got NFL starting up tomorrow. Week one is under our belt for college football. We got the the classic week week two kind of sleepy, kind of let downy looking slate, but we got a handful of games here to keep us interested. And, uh, you know, I'm still riding high uh, from the weekend, of course. So there, there's a lot of fun to be had on, on Saturday night for me. And uh, I leaned into it. It was a lot of, it was a very good time. I, that's the first time I've heard let downy used uh, in that context, but I love it. Uh, you said you're riding high. I am riding low, could not be riding yeah. lower. Mm. Saturday was a was a tough one. Uh, I got out early, played golf with the fellas. You know, we're all jazzed up. We're talking about the game. We retreat back to another friend's house who's got like a sweet garage set up to watch the game. Everything, everything's in motion. Like you said, you know, it was it, it felt like college football was truly back. And immediately it became clear that the Wisconsin offense was nowhere near where it's been for the better part of the last decade. And, you know, and then you juxtapose it and, you know, this this isn't to dig into anything. I think it's more just a general commentary on people on Twitter commentary and especially standalone games. Uh, seeing the, the reaction on Sunday night when uh, when Jack Cohn led uh, Notre Dame down the field, it it was uh, it was kind of obnoxious. And I think that people in general are so quick to, to second guess and to point the finger. And this, this coming from a jilted Georgia guy who, you know, saw his program pick J- Jake Fromm over Justin Fields and didn't hear the end of it until Fields uh, finally like lost in the national championship last year. So you, you just get the second guess. Any, anytime that the guy that left starts thriving, 
you you really kind of wear it on, on Twitter. So I'm sure that 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 was like you know Saturday was bad enough with with the way that Mertz played and uh, apparently forgot how to hand off the ball and stuff like that. And then like seeing Cone do well on Sunday and seeing that the Twitter mob just re- recycling rehashing that same joke. Uh, I didn't I didn't uh, care for it either. Of course, I didn't care for it, but it was also accurate. I mean, I, I think it cannot be overstated how poorly Graham Mertz played it. It wasn't just the picks that that ultimately sealed Wisconsin's fate. It wasn't just the the botched handoff from the one yard line when it looked like Wisconsin was about to, you know, plunge it in for what would have been the go ahead touchdown and likely the game winning touchdown. The way that that defense was playing. But throughout the game, there, I don't know that there was one time where there was a single throw where you said, that's the reason that this guy was so highly regarded. That's why we chose him over the guy who just threw for 366 yards and four touchdowns for Notre Dame the other night and made some of those throws that were like, wow, that's an NFL-level throw. Like, what a read, what a throw. There, like, there were, At no point did, did Mertz look anywhere near that caliber of quarterback. That's what was so shocking. You know, it, it's, it's one thing, you know, if you watch Trevor Lawrence with the Jags, you know, it's like, all right, he's taking a little too long all right, that was a bad sack. That wasn't a great throw. But then he'll follow it up with like a wow, like, okay, this is why this guy was the number one pick. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was expecting from Mertz. Obviously not to Trevor Lawrence levels, but a little bit up, a little bit of down. It was all down. Like his, like the processing speed reading the defense was not there whatsoever. It felt like he went to the line of scrimmage saying, I'm going to throw it to this receiver no matter what the coverage is and just never adjusted whatsoever. No, that that's absolutely true. I, you know, I, I had the game on in the, in the little business center at this hotel in Gettysburg, and I'm watching along. And every time that I saw him drop back, like you're saying, he, he forced everything. It, it it felt like there was zero comfort level. And, and of course, Penn State, their defense was forcing the issue to an extent. Um, but man, like it, it it still felt. I think you characterized it really well, where where it seemed just like where. Where's the part where he's supposed to be good? Where where is that five star background? I, I'm not seeing any of that show up on, on the field here. So that that's frustrating. And you know, the, the further that we get along that Illinois game to open last season feels like a fluke. Let me back up for a second. You mentioned you were at a hotel in Gettysburg. Walk me through why you were in that situation and what your setup was throughout a massive week in college football. Yeah, uh, I was up there for for my cousin's wedding, um, and so I, I woke up Saturday morning and just ripped it up uh, I seventy uh, to get to get to Gettysburg for, from Maryland, and uh, I I couldn't check into my hotel room, but I had talked to them pre like previously or earlier in the week and was like, I gotta work. I know I can't check in. Can you do anything for me? And they're like, Yeah, we got we got this palatial. Uh, business center down in the basement. So I just like got there bleary eyed and just was like, I wear a basement. And they, they just showed me where to go and uh, connected to the Wi Fi and, you know, just plugged in. And, uh, you know, I actually had a very like productive work day. Like everything went extremely smoothly and, and the Wi Fi never crapped out or anything. And I was able to stream uh, some games on my laptop as I was working. So it ended up working out okay, despite, you know, my cousin have the, having the audacity to, to get married during football season. Did you have a TV at least, or did you have to stream everything? I had to stream everything, unfortunately. It's a very colonial-looking uh, setup in that, uh, I mean, you were in in that their business center. I believe I tweeted it out. So if, if you go to, to my Twitter, 
uh, and dial it back to Saturday. There, there's a there's a picture. Is you know today's office uh, type of tweet is pretty good. <laughs> oh man, I I don't know if I have the stomach to to look at another today's office tweet. Um, I was I was pretty much off Twitter throughout the afternoon. I was I was just so upset about the Badgers game. I actually went out and golfed another 18 holes by myself in the <laughs> evening. I just I just needed I, I needed to get away. Like my friends are like, hey, do you want to go down? Do you guys want to watch the the Georgia game somewhere? And I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like I just. <laughs> I just went out to uh, to Greenfield Park Golf Course, and you know, like I, I don't know how often. I don't think you golf quite as much as I do, but you know, it's nothing better than getting out there with the boys. But once or twice a summer, if you could just go out there by yourself, like I forgot how relaxing and fun that was. I I, I listened to the first quarter of Georgia Clemson on the radio while golfing. Like it was it was just an ideal setup, and you know, it, it gets dark by seven fifteen, seven thirty here, so I was still able to get home and and watch most of uh, what turned out to be a game that in many ways resembled like just a much cleaner, much more well-played Wisconsin Penn state game. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, yeah, the, there is a lot less mistakes. Obviously the one mistake really decided the entire game with, with uh, DJ Uyunglele throwing that, that pick six to Chris Smith and Chris Smith, you know, running away from everybody. But yeah, otherwise it was just an absolute slug fest. And uh, the, after the, ceremony we we sit down for the dinner luckily i'm not sitting at the head of the table or or anything like that so i uh, got the got the game streaming on my lap i'm watching it um you know i'm like trying to hold conversation with people while also like somehow uh moving my eye to be able to to watch the game and to like not look like i'm watching the game at the same time uh very difficult maneuvers were being pulled to to make sure that i was consuming the game properly but yeah i mean just Defense ruled the day. Um, there's a lot of hand wringing about about Georgia's offense, and I mean, I'm I am included in that in the sense that um, as amazing of a win and as banner of a win as that is for for Georgia and for Kirby Smart and and you know what it could mean for this season, you're not you're still not going to beat Alabama that way. But the other thing is that Georgia won't have to beat Alabama that way until the SEC championship game at the earliest. So there's a lot of time for this offense to start to gel, uh, to get comfortable. And we'll, we'll talk about Georgia's offense when we get to the DFS section a little bit more. But, you know, the run game seems like it'll be working. Uh, they're, they're very, you know, kind of hand tied behind their back right now with their pass catching personnel. Obviously, George Pickens being out, Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton limited, um, a handful of other guys, uh, Darnell Washington. I mean, the, the leading pass catcher was a, fre- a true freshman tight end uh, who was not of like the Eric Gilbert level of recruiting status, Brock Bowers. But um, I think that this offense will will progress over time. And, and we do know for sure if there's one big statement takeaway is that Georgia's defense seems to be kind of head and shoulders above everyone else in college football. Yeah, I mean, that was a ferocious performance. By Georgia. I mean, not only the pick six, uh, the, I think it was seven sacks on Uyunglele, but just the, the closing speed of that secondary and even some of the linebackers too. Like even even when they would complete a pass, it was just instantaneous. They're like, how was he even holding on to this ball? Like it really was, it really was striking. And and that's going up against a really good Clemson offense and a really good Clemson defense. I, I thought the, the Clemson defensive line was impressive. Wasn't yep. super impressed with with the rest of that defense. Obviously, you know, holding Georgia under 20 points uh, is a relative accomplishment in its own right. But I, I don't know. I don't really come away from this thinking it was like a crushing loss for Clemson. It was more of a, an impressive defensive effort from Georgia. Um, whereas, you know, you look at Wisconsin, it's like, man, Wisconsin did everything they could to lose this game. I'm very worried about the offense 
I'm not really concerned. I, I think the Clemson offense is still going to steamroll most of the ACC. Yeah, it, it absolutely will. And you look at the rest of uh, how the ACC performed over the weekend, and it gets the, the similar treatment as as like maybe like the Big Ten during March Madness this past spring, where, where it's just like every everything was in front of them and like almost everyone crapped the bed. So, I mean, you, you know, North Carolina – uh, going ahead and losing to Virginia Tech on Friday night just kind of set a bad tone for the rest of the weekend. And Miami, kind of as we expected and alluded to, got completely steamrolled. Uh, the, the, t- the turnover chain having, having to be put away while you're down 27 points or whatever that was. That's <laughs> quite an iconic the, image. <laughs> quite the visual. Um, and then, yeah, so so Clemson, yeah, I wouldn't be worried about them the, the rest of the way. Um, I think that obviously if you're holding a, a DJU Heisman ticket, that that takes a bit of a hit right now, but there's still so much of the season to go. And it's not like Spencer Rattler looked all that great on Saturday. I mean, Oklahoma really kind of almost lost to Tulane. That, that things got pretty hairy there for, for a minute. So um, either way, Clemson, they didn't get punished that much in the polls for this loss and they shouldn't have. They're still an excellent team. I, I would be shocked if they lose another game the rest of the way before, before the college football playoff. Um, so, yeah, everything is still in front of Clemson. So a tough loss for them because it, it, it was their biggest game on the schedule. But in the grand scheme, they're fine. Let's run, run through some of the other notable results in week one. Uh, now that we've gotten through both of our alma maters, Oklahoma struggled a little bit. With Tulane, that was one of my bets that I liked uh, going into this week. Um, I, I thought Oklahoma would would really turn it on offensively. Uh, they did put up 40 points in this game, but but the defense really did not hold up into end of the bargain, uh, getting outscored 21 to three over the final two quarters. But Oklahoma did put up 37 in the first half. It's kind of a weird game from an Oklahoma team that has just yep. felt a little bit weird ever since Spencer Rattler took over. Um, some of, some of the offensive consistency that we got so used to with, with Baker and with Kyler. Um, it, it just, they just feel like a little bit more like reckless, I guess, possession to possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still have that Ohio state or, or Alabama type ability where it's like, man, they, they just can't get anything going. And then next play, you know, running back just like goes untouched for a 78 yard touchdown. And you're like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is why this team is Oklahoma. But man, I mean, what, what was the final spread on this? Like, was it like 31 and a half? I think. Yeah, it, it was definitely more than four touchdowns. I think it, it was 31 and a half, maybe uh, 30 and a half at, at some shops. But yeah, either way, obviously that game didn't play out nearly that way. Uh, Tulane is always a team, at least um, under the, this current regime, under this current coaching staff, that is plucky. Like that, You don't really want to mess around with, with them. There's a couple teams pl- taking on Power 5 schools this weekend that, that fit that similar mold that we'll get to, but Tulane's one of them. They, they run that, that certain kind of just power run type of offense that, you know, that's kind of sets up some big passes, that kind of thing. I, I think their quarterback, Michael Pratt, um, is a ballsy player, just a, a guy who really laid it out on the line, almost got the, that first down to, to keep the game alive late in the fourth quarter there and, you know, kept them steady. I mean, that like Tulane was returning all the punches and jabs that Oklahoma was throwing to in the beginning of that game. Uh, and then on the defensive side, they played on Rattler's recklessness because, like you said, he does play a bit reckless. He threw a pick very early on in this game. Uh, so, yeah, I think Oklahoma has to – I think Oklahoma, of course, still has everything in front of them, and they, they didn't – they were able to escape uh, with a victory here. But there's definitely some things to work on. And um, as I tweeted out, I was told that Oklahoma had a defense this year. Uh, that's interesting. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I think you were misled, led astray, hoodwinked uh, in that regard. Bamboozled. Is there anything to even say about this Alabama-Miami game? I, I think this played out pretty much exactly like we expected. Like anyone who's watched Alabama, especially in these openers, like it just feels like they can score as many points as they want to score. And it's just up to them like how badly they want to beat these teams. Yeah, I mean, I think the only big, big takeaway that I have is we might have the best of the, of this recent crop of Alabama quarterbacks going. And that it's crazy how it just keeps getting better when it when it went from Jalen Hurts and what he was able to do to Tua um, to Mac Jones just having a complete mastery of that offense a year ago and having a Heisman caliber season. And now you have a guy in Bryce Young who might be the best of that bunch. That 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 is just crazy to me. That that's my one big takeaway. Um, I believe he's the Heisman favorite now after, after that weekend, and I think rightfully so. It's going to be uh, tough to catch him if he keeps playing like that. I would say their most talented quarterback, probably going all the way back to Brody Croyle. <laughs> it's a big statement. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about this one. I I was excited to watch it. I always I, I love watching Alabama. Um, I don't know if I just gravitate to to dominant teams or they're just a really fun team to watch because of the athletes that they have. But it was over at the end of the first quarter. I mean, ESPN. If you look at the the win probability chart, um, like two minutes into the second quarter, they had like it was like ninety eight percent chance that Alabama was going to win this game. And it was like fourteen nothing. Like they, it, it's it's so easy. For Alabama and there's there's really only two or three teams in the country that can mount a challenge to the Crimson Tide at this point you know you mentioned earlier you know a, a potential Alabama Georgia showdown in the SEC title game I, I think we're we're certainly moving towards something like that at this point do you think Georgia has the horses to to slow down Alabama and my second question based on that is do they need to if Georgia runs the table can they afford to potentially lose to an undefeated Alabama and then still make the playoff if that's their only loss? Um, I, I, I'll answer your second question first. I, I do think so. I, I think that if Georgia goes 12-0, then they pretty much get that mulligan for, for the SEC championship if they are to lose to Alabama there, again, provided that that ends up being the matchup. Um, as to whether Georgia has the horses to slow Alabama, I think the one of the big differences between what – uh, Georgia was able to do to Clemson versus what they would be able to do or how they would defend Alabama is, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Clemson just doesn't have that interior offensive line and that's where they were getting eaten alive last week. I think Bama still has uh, probably the best offensive line in college football. I know that they, uh, you know, turned over a fair amount of it. Guys like Deontay Brown and, and Alex Leatherwood off to the NFL, but man, I, that's still just an absolutely dominant unit that that Alabama has so they wouldn't get bullied uh, up front the same way like I would be shocked if Georgia was able to sack Bryce Young more than five times let alone seven times so it would be a different game and, and again um, it would be a game where Georgia Georgia's offense would have to show up in, in a more concrete way because again they didn't score a touchdown last week against Clemson where are we at on LSU right now uh, it, it felt like this was a, a statement loss by LSU if you will uh, going out to UCLA and, and kind of falling flat on their face. I mean, this game, the final score, uh, an 11-point margin, not really indicative of how much of a blowout this was at times in the second half. You know, in, in some ways, you know, we're only we're less than two years uh, removed from LSU winning the national title. It, it, it is kind of crazy uh, to see the program, you know, crater in the way that it has, at least on the field, um, you know, over these last like 14 months. But at the same time, 
Um, I, I just, I'm not shocked that they lost this game. Like part of it is, is UCLA is, is on the upswing. There's a lot of, is UCLA the best team, not only in its division, but in the entire Pac-12 buzz going on right now. Uh, we, we can maybe get into that uh, later on, but I mean, how surprised were you that, that LSU went down? Because based on how this team played last year, I, they kind of started to instill some doubt within me and they just like the swagger and the, the moxie that this entire team had. And I think a lot of people just equate that with Joe Burrow, but the defense was nasty. And, and obviously you lost a lot of those players that, that won you the national title, but I mean, you still have like one of the best defensive players that, that, that we've had in college football in recent memory and Derek Stingley. And you, you turned this game on the other day and, and Derek Stingley is lunging at guys. He's getting stiff armed to the ground on, you know, by UCLA receivers who are running for touchdowns. Like, what has happened to the edge that that LSU seemed to have a couple of years ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it almost feels like that they sold their soul for 2019 or something. I mean, that yeah. like the, it's it's amazing the the lack of energy um, that that they've had these last two years, really, or, or at least you know, the, obviously this year we got a lot to go. But man, that that is that statement loss, like you said, and you know that last year they come out they they lose to Miss State in pretty emphatic fashion. And people were, um, you know, they raised an eyebrow about that with that being Mike Leach's game. I think people, were, you know, us included, were probably like, is Mike Leach about to take over the SEC? Uh, no, but yeah, – Turns um, out he did not. <laughs> narrator, he did not. But um, either way, um, the way that LSU played, at least through, through like the first few months of the season last year, losing Miles Brennan, turning to TJ Finley, having that just be uh, kind of a mess – it looked bad, but then the way that they were able to go into Florida and beat the Gators and then um, put a million points on Ole Miss and, and finish the season uh, on a positive note, or at least the, the regular season on a positive note by, by beating the Rebs, it felt like, okay, like they, they had some some uh, big championship hangover. You can't completely blame a team like that for, for having one of those, but they should have the guys in place to get it back done in 2021, you know, be the second or third best team in the West and, and comfortably. So, but like you said, man, like that, this is, this is a team that, that lost by getting kind of bullied. You, you don't really see a, a team like LSU lose the way that, that they do to a non-conference opponent where they got almost out SEC'd um, with UCLA running the ball on them. Uh, a guy like Derek Stingley, like you said, get, getting, uh, kind of just out physical um, and yeah, just kind of humbled out there, which is shocking got, because he, he is so talented. I hate to drop the P word. They got pumped by UCLA. Like it's, it's one thing to go out, go out West and have this happen against USC or, or Oregon, like a team that's recruiting on your level, but this is UCLA, man. Like this UCLA was unranked coming into this game. Like, yes, it's been a nice story. Yes. They looked okay in week zero. Um, and, and a lot of credit goes to UCLA for winning this game. But I mean, this is not, this is not like a juggernaut team that you lost to here. No, it's not. And, and I think one last thing that I'll, that I'll throw onto this, but um, the, the UCLA social was all over it, but the, the clip of Coach O catching some some trash talk on the way into the stadium and, and saying that, you know, Colin, that he's like, yeah, come down here in your sissy blue shirt or something, uh, something to that effect. Uh, also, like, hilarious insult. Also very funny to be saying that while like wearing purple, but I digress. Um, well, that, and, yeah, that was my exact thought. Like one, I like purple. Purple's my favorite color. I'm not going to bring that into this, but blue, like, isn't that like the unit? That's like what you wrap a male baby in blue. It's like, it's like the male color, like right or wrong. Like I look it, like it's two, it's 2021. You can't, you can't just go up to someone in a pink shirt 
and make fun of him because he's wearing a girl color or whatever. But like blue, that's what like you can't wear a blue shirt anymore. <laughs> I, I guess it, apparently that that shade of blue is is offensive to the eyes of one coach at Ogeron. And yeah, so <laughs> now, now we're get, we're getting a lot of comps for for Ed O. Just saying that he's Louisiana's Gene Chizik. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But I mean, you don't want to get the c word Chizik thrown around uh, when, when talking about you. So uh, we'll, we'll see if LSU can write, start writing the ship. Yeah, well, coincidentally, he coached at a school primary color, navy blue. Oh. Something to think about. See? Um, where else do you want to go in week one? Um, just a, a couple other random os- observations. Uh, random stat line, shout out, Devontae Price, uh, Florida International, their running back, five carries, 165 yards and three touchdowns, pretty good. Um, going against Long Island, not sure if that's a real school or not, but either way, those stats are real. Um, teams that I'm wagging the finger at uh, with shame, uh, Washington, losing to Montana, not a good look, even if Montana is, you know, a good FCS program. Uh, Tulsa, losing to UC Davis, that's pretty inexcusable. Tulsa was kind of a buzzy team coming into this season, so that it was surprising to see them fall flat like that, especially at home in Colorado State, um, losing their game to the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State, and pretty emphatically, too. The Steve Adazio experiment in uh, in Fort Collins is going terribly. And then a couple of teams that are that opened my eyes a little bit. Neither of them played anyone real. I mean, there are a couple of cupcakes here that, that we're about to throw to, but Kentucky, man, the, their quarterback, Will Levis, the, the guy that left Penn State, he looks like he might be the real deal. Uh, despite the fact that he eats his bananas with, with the peel still on. Um, he, if Kentucky can throw the ball, that's something that they really haven't been able to do that I can re- remember dating back to maybe Tim Couch. Yeah, so, Jared Lorenzen, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, yeah, no, yeah, good. the hefty lefty, of course, RIP. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long time since they've had that element to their offense. They have a new offensive coordinator. A Kentucky, a, a Kentucky team that can threaten through the air and on the ground is a scary Kentucky team. I think that they are arguably the second best team in the SEC, and that's going to be an uncomfortable game for Georgia later on in the season in Athens. And then Boston College, I think they're a pretty talented team, man. I, I like what, what their coach uh, Halfley's been able to do there. Um, Phil Dracovich, the um, transfer from Notre Dame, second year there, impressive guy. I still don't think that they have a run, run game. You know, they, they don't have – and A.J. Dillon in that backfield, but they actually have uh, passing game me. weapons. They, they have Ron Dane's son, J.V. and Dane. That's true. That's true. They have, they but have uh, he was better than A.J. Dillon. <laughs> but just by, by the uh, by the lineage, he, he's got to be better. But either way, uh, Boston College, uh, just they might be one of the better to, in, better teams in the ACC in what seems like it, it might be kind of a wide-open conference. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they, they end up being the second or third best team um, in the ACC. So those are, those are my other, uh, takeaways for, from week one. Okay. Fair enough. I, I see JV and Dane did not have a single carry in this game. So I'm <laughs> impressed that they still were able to, to pull off the victory. Uh, <laughs> They're arresting him for, for UMass this weekend. <laughs> this, yeah. Holding him out until the college football playoff. Uh, let's move ahead to, to week two. And I want to talk to Iowa, Iowa state, and we, we haven't touched on either of these teams yet, but we can use this matchup, uh, with Iowa now coming in at number 10. Iowa State at number nine. Uh, Iowa State, a four and a half point favorite in this game that will tip off or tip off, kick off, excuse me, at 3.30 on Saturday. Um, we could kind of use this as a lens to to discuss what these teams did in week one. 
No, absolutely. And and I'm a little bit surprised that, that Iowa State is favored, but you know, they, they do have the, the preseason cachet, I think, carrying them still a little bit. And they are famous for starting slow. Uh, they're a team that lost to, to Louisiana last season in, in the season opener. Um, they've definitely struggled with, with Northern Iowa in the past, early on in the season, that kind of thing. I don't know why that's, you know, for a guy like Matt Campbell, who's such a, a well-renowned coach, for them to be so sleepy in week one never really makes a lot of sense to me, but it, it seems to be a thing. And then on the other end, this Iowa team looks like they might be the best team in the Big Ten West, uh, especially after the results of last weekend. And, and of course, with Mo Ibrahim's unfortunate um, leg injury against Ohio State, that really hurts Minnesota, of course. We saw how Wisconsin went. So, and yeah, Northwestern got completely uh, punked as well. Um, so I. I think that Iowa wins this one. I like Iowa on the money line in this one. Maybe that's trendy. Maybe, um, you know, that that's something where things will snap back and Iowa State plays up to their potential. But I think Iowa, especially defensively, I think is a, is a tougher team. Um, I think their offensive line is probably better if they're able to bottle up Brees Hall defensively. And Brees Hall was kind of bottled up, at least by his standards, against UNI then I think Iowa State is going to struggle to, to put points on the board, let alone cover this spread against a really tough, solid, stout Iowa team. You know, what, what else is new that, that you can use those um, attributes to describe Iowa, that they're just an Iowa team, that they just happen to be a good one uh, this year. Some years that they're kind of mediocre, I think this is a good Iowa team. So I like them to, to win this one in a top 10 matchup. I'm still kind of debating where I go here. I, I feel like I, I don't want to read – too far into into what either of these teams did in, in week one, where it, it feels like you know everybody's jumping on Iowa now because of how they they decimated an Indiana team that in reality maybe isn't all that good. And I think people are backing off of Iowa State, you know, which dropped two spots in the rankings while Iowa moves up eight spots um, for for struggling a little bit with, with a UNI team that I don't know. I mean, I, I to me, I, I didn't feel like Northern or like Northern Iowa, you know, like presented that much of a challenge. I felt like Iowa State just just wasn't prepared or, or wasn't motivated. I don't know what it was. Um, it, it reminded me of, I think it was like 2014 or 2015, Wisconsin played Western Illinois, the second game of the year. And they ended up beating them by like three touchdowns. It was 37 to three. I have it up now. Uh, but it was, it was nine to three at halftime. And we were looking at this game. This is my, my senior year. We were like, this is the game where Melvin Gordon needs to rush for like 400 yards. And, you know, he'll take the Heisman race. And he rushed for 38 yards on 17 carries in that game. And it, that's kind of what, you know, like Brees Hall, obviously disappointing in this game as well, where you have this dark horse Heisman candidate and there's so much hype um, and, and you, you kind of fall flat. But, you know, I, I do think Iowa State bounces back. I, I don't think this is just who this team is going forward. And my guess is that they were looking ahead to this Iowa game and, and knew that no matter what, they were going to get the victory against Northern Iowa. And they did. And that's what's important. But I, I, I'm just I'm still going back and forth. I, I'm trying not to put too much stock into what we saw this past weekend. I think that that's a that's a measured take. Um no, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense the way that, that you framed it with the way that, you know, th this is a team that was rightfully, you know, kind of right outside that that elite, you know, kind of sky sky club level group of, of teams uh, when it came to the national championship odds when we were talking about those a couple weeks back. I mean, Iowa State was, was like what, like the sixth um, highest odds to, to win it all. Um, certainly a, a ways bit down on the board, but still. Um, they, they were there. So it it's probably a bit of an overreaction on my part um, to, to be this confident in Iowa. But 
I'm going to stick with it despite the, the reasons that, that you put out there that are all, you know, that they, they all make sense, plenty of sense, but I, I just, I got a sense about, about this Iowa team. Sometimes I, I can, I can feel it in my bones when it comes to, to the Kirk Ferentz teams. And uh, I think this might be one of them. Yeah, Brad Banks is, is talking to you in your dreams about this Iowa team. That's right. Um, Oregon and Ohio State on Saturday. I, I do not like that this is a 11 a.m. kickoff for us here in Wisconsin. Uh, I will actually be in Las Vegas this weekend for a bachelor party. So I believe that's going to be a 9 a.m. kickoff. <laughs> so you, you'll catch that as you're getting ready to go to bed. Yeah, I guess this has got big nine Saturday. Uh, I I don't love this idea. I know Fox is like really trying to own that noon window. I guess in the eastern in the eastern part of the country. Um, well, well, you know, I mean, obviously you have a, a Pac-12 team uh, on on Pacific time and a Central time zone team in Ohio State going at it. So I I don't love that this isn't just being pushed to prime time because I, I don't think we have like a great game at night. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. The two best games are at are at eleven and at three thirty Central. Um, I mean, Wisconsin and Eastern Michigan is the featured game on FS1. So that's, that's saying something, but regardless, I, I think it, you can kind of go back and forth. It's either this or Iowa, Iowa state, uh, as, as your best game of the week, Ohio state is a 14 and a half point favorite. So the implication is that at least Iowa, Iowa state's going to be a better game. But, you know, if you, if you like seeing the best athletes at the premier positions in the country, I think this is a game that you'll probably want to keep a closer eye on. I think that, yeah, that's a fair assessment. I, th- I think the biggest X factor, the biggest storyline going into this one um, is the health of Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon. He got banged up last week uh, with an ankle. It seems like the, the kind of ankle injury that, uh, you know, maybe like that dreaded high ankle sprain, uh, something along those lines to where it's going to be a quick, quick turnaround for a guy who, you know, has everything in front of him. I'm, I'm sure he's making money off of NIL right now. Of course, he, he's the best defensive player in college football. But this is a guy that, that could very well go number one in, in the NFL draft, uh, a la Miles Garrett from a couple of years ago where we didn't really have a premier quarterback uh, crop coming into the NFL. So Thibodeau does have that, it uh, you know, to at least consider. But this is also a huge game for Oregon. So we'll have to see if he's able to go into – and to what extent he's able to go. If he's not out there, then I, I think that Oregon has a hard time holding up, especially into the second half against this Ohio State team. Ohio State seemed to kind of figure things out um, after a sluggish start a week ago in Minneapolis. Um, so I, I like Ohio State in this one, uh, obviously, to, to win. Uh, the, the 14 and a half is a little bit tricky. Um, I, I would probably still, with this game being in Columbus, I would say that Ohio State wins this one or covers this one, but I'm not sure if that's going to going to make the the cut for my best bets for this week. But um, I do expect Ohio State with those crazy athletes. I mean, we we saw our, our first sneak peek of Travion Henderson last week, and I think that you, you described a play that kind of uh, that that might have been the Travion Henderson play, where they just kind of uh, had a bit of a, a throwback to him. Uh, right at the line of scrimmage. And then next thing you know, 70 yards later, untouched, he, he's in the end zone. So uh, he's just a, a special player. And it's, you know, he might have like a J.K. Dobbins-esque uh, freshman season there for the Buckeyes. Yeah, the, the Ohio State game was was just kind of strange, honestly. Yep. Um, it, it didn't really feel like they played all that well. It was extremely reliant on on the big plays. And, and they got enough of them. And, you know, the defense got just enough stops to win that game comfortably. But, 
I, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't super encouraging. I, I think CJ Stroud looked fine. Uh, he, he didn't look extremely comfortable. I, I think he'll get more comfortable, but man, like the, the end of the day, like if, if you give any elite Ohio state quarterback enough time, they're going to find these guys. And when you have like two big time NFL caliber receivers who can just run past everyone, if they catch it cleanly, I mean, that was, that was the story of the entire second half. Yeah. The, yeah. Just dropping in the, these, you know, long uh, way down the field shots where you're just like, how does, how does Garrett Wilson get that open? And you're almost like, well, he gets that open because he's Garrett Wilson and, and you see who's, who, uh, you know, is trying to cover him for Minnesota one-on-one. It's like, well, that, of course that didn't work. So yeah, that if they can, I don't think they'll be able to um, have those type of, of secondary mismatches against Oregon. I do think that Oregon has a, has a better um, defensive backfield, but you know, you, you slow down the pass a little bit. Maybe you start to get Stroud rolling in the run game or the, the rest of those, um, you know, that stable of running backs for Ohio State. So it's, a, you know, it's a pick your poison type of thing when it comes to slowing down this Buckeyes offense. I think you're spot on on Thibodeau, by the way. I, I, they're calling him day to day. I mean, he was, I, I believe he had like a walking boot on the sidelines, like while the game is still going on, never a very good sign. No. Um, and, and if he does play, which I, it sounds like there's a decent chance he will play, you got to imagine he's going to be limited. Um, and, and in a game where you know, if you're Oregon, you need pretty much everything to go right for you to to contend in this game. That's a huge, huge blow. It is. And then I, I think we also, we haven't touched on Oregon's game at all. They, no. they almost lost to Fresno State. And, and they were I mean, that's a very good Fresno favorites. State team. Yes. I mean, that. I mean, they're definitely solid. I mean, Jay Kaner's really good. They've got a lot of weapons on offense. But man, I mean, Oregon State was still a three touchdown favorite, and and you know, only won that game by a possession. So that that's not overly encouraging for for the Anthony Brown era um, at quarterback there for the Ducks. No, no, certainly not. I mean, at, at the same time, Anthony Brown definitely the coolest quarterback that they've had in a while. Um, so you have to consider <laughs> what that means. I mean, he, he ran the ball sixteen times. Uh, only for 56 yards in this game. Uh, I assume some sack yardage was included there. Um, but, I mean, passing-wise, not ideal. Didn't throw any picks, but, you know, 15 to 24, not overly efficient, just 172 yards. Uh, they, they broke a couple big plays, but, but you know, not the Oregon offense did not look as explosive as we've been used to it being for the last, like, 15 years. No, they, I don't. They have good receivers, but they don't have like that that really cool, explosive like Oregon guy who looks who's already really fast, and then looks all the faster with the with the neon yellow socks on. You know, they, they don't really have that guy. We, we um, can just say we're talking about DeAnthony Thomas. Yeah, we are. We are, and, and uh, what Kenyon Barner too. Yeah, Michael James. I mean, there was there was a run where they were they were consistently producing arguably the coolest player in college football on a perennial basis. It's an absolute factory for, for a minute there. So yeah, bring that back. We need more of that. Um, so we'll, we'll see if they can, they can get that done. They, they've kind of just Mario Cristobal for, for better, or for worse. I think in general it is for better, but he's kind of recruited an sec type roster where, where he's just got a, a, offensive line that that can bully people so that that should help them hold up against Ohio State and the, and the defense is really strong but you know may, maybe the the electric skill guys um that aren't as big of a, a priority for him he's more about just kind of grinding teams down using that uh trench advantage that they tend to have so we've gone through both of the ranked versus ranked matchups which are, are both incredibly appealing this week not as not as robust of an overall slate as we were treated to in week one, but where else are you looking this week? Either games to target 
for DFS purposes or, or games you have your eye on for gambling purposes? Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at Texas, Arkansas. I think that'll be a fun game. Uh, Texas six and a half point favorites on the road against Arkansas. Uh, Michigan, Washington is kind of interesting. Michigan, only six and a half point favorites in that one. I think that a lot of people are going to rush to Michigan um, just because Washington's coming off a loss against an FCS team, whereas Michigan basically just had control of, the, of that Western game uh, right off the bat and, and never really seized it. They did lose Ronnie Bell for the season, unfortunately, but they've got a decent amount of, of wide receiver talent to where um, I could definitely see them covering that one. Um, but we'll, we'll just go on, go ahead and, and kick it over to, to DFS um, for the, the main slate for this week. We'll, we'll take a look at, at DraftKings. Um, so the teams with, with the highest implied totals uh, for, for this slate, we got Florida checking in at 43.75, Penn State uh, implied total of 40, Ohio State 39.25, Notre Dame 35.75, and Georgia 35.25. And then another interesting team, interesting little wrinkle here could be Oklahoma State. They could be kind of a key to this slate because they were obviously pretty sluggish a week ago. They didn't have Spencer Sanders, obviously Chuba Hubbard is gone. If Spencer Sanders is back out there this week and it's not Illingworth um, at quarterback for Oklahoma State, then I think that this is an Oklahoma State team that, that can go ahead um, and, and hit that total. Um, they have a, a relatively high uh, like mid-30s implied total. and They're playing a Tulsa team, like we mentioned before, that is coming off a loss to UC Davis. So, so you know, that I think that that's pretty telling. Spencer Sanders, 7,500. Uh, I think there's a chance that he plays, but we'll, we'll know more uh, a little bit later on in the week. As far as this uh, slate is concerned, we'll start at quarterback. Um, Emory Jones tops it off. So it's not a, a great quarterback group this week. He checks in at 9K. Um, he's kind of an easy fade for me, especially after the way that um, Anthony Richardson kind of came in and stole the show from him uh, in week one against Florida Atlantic. Emory Jones didn't really light it up. Uh, for his own purposes either. But at the same time, I'm not chasing a guy like Anthony Richard, Richardson this week at 8,400. Um, I think that, that that's kind of a, just based on knowing that he's not going to be playing the full game, I don't know why you would put 8,400 of, of your salary cap in, into that guy. Um, Jack Cohn, I think, is a little bit more appealing at 8,900 than either of those guys. Um, going up against Toledo, I don't think Toledo's going to have much of a chance here, and I like the the um, the pricing on some of these pass catchers for Notre Dame to where um, I think you can you can find a Notre Dame passing stack uh, pretty easily. Sean Clifford, eighty one hundred, going up against um, Ball State. Western Illinois put up over three hundred fifty passing yards on eight and a half yards per attempt against Ball State a week ago. I think that's a very concerning sign when it comes to Ball State. So Clifford, eighty one hundred, going up against that defense. Um, got a guy like Jahan Dotson, who's just a, a, a total you know, future NFL guy. Um, I like the idea of getting some Penn State passing um, stacks as well. And I think one of the big landmines for, for this week is Haynes King of 8,300 of Texas A&M. I really like Haynes King. I think he's going to be a, a really solid contributor, someone that we'll talk about a lot on this pod. But it's early in the season, up in Colorado, in that altitude. This is his second career start, first one against a Power 5 opponent. It can just be tricky up there. And, and Vegas has uh, A&M's implied total 
at just 25. So if I'm approaching this A&M offense, um, I'm doing it in the backfield. I'm not necessarily going after King and company. And then the, my, my kind of wild card is Holton Allers, uh, 7,100 of East Carolina going up against South Carolina. That game, by the way, a pick them. So that, that goes to show you what, where Vegas is with, with this South Carolina team to where um, an East Carolina team that was 10-point dogs to App State a week ago is, is a pick them against South Carolina. Man, the, the Brinkley twins are not walking through that door, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, at running back, how are you handling Brees Hall? He, he is the highest-priced player. Uh, on the Saturday main slate, but not by a ton. You got Zamir White, just $300 cheaper. Kevin Harris uh, at South Carolina, uh, just $500 cheaper. So I, I remember last year, I mean, there were some huge gaps between Brees Hall and, and the rest of the field at times, depending on how the slate broke down. You're still going to have to pay up for him, but, you know, it's not this this you know single tier where he's just kind of by himself. We touched on the Iowa State, Northern Illinois, uh, or, or excuse me, struggles, uh, in week one, 23 carries, 69 yards, one touchdown. I, I didn't watch a ton of this game, but just looking at that line, it reeks of like one team really wanting to establish Brees Hall and, and you know maybe set the course for a, a potential dark horse Heisman campaign. And another team in Northern Iowa knowing exactly what Iowa State wanted to do <laughs> yep. and being prepared for it. Yeah, no, that like there's no way that I that Northern Iowa didn't spend the entire summer loading up to, to just try to slow Brees Hall as much as possible. And they succeeded. So um, bully for them. Um, but man, going up against Iowa, it, it doesn't get any easier for him. Um, I think that we're still going to see Brees Hall push for a lot of carries in this one, but um, I do worry about the, the effectiveness, the efficiency, um, the ability to, to put, um, you know, the ball over the goal line into the end zone. So um, at 8k, I think I'm off of Brees Hall for the most part. I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of people that uh, echo my sentiment. And I, I think that you, again, brought up some good points about this Iowa State team. Maybe people jumping ship a little bit too early um, on, on them and, and maybe specifically Brees Hall. So maybe there's a chance to where you can actually play Brees Hall and have it be a leverage play against the rest of the field because so many people are going to be fading him due to the matchup and due to that price tag. But I think if I'm making just one lineup, uh, Hall is not going to be in it. Um, Zamir White, 7,700. I, I think that this game going against UAB, UAB, um, very, very, a very good uh, group of five team, really good defensively. So I'm not really touching that. And I, I think that Georgia will win that game, but I think they're going to uh, kind of dip into their well of backfield depth. I think we're going to see – um, Zamir White pushed for, you know, 12 to 15 carries. And then I think they're going to kind of turn it over to your Kendall Milton's, your Kenny McIntosh's of the world. So we're not going to get that maximized workload for Zeus. Kevin Harris coming off the back injury, didn't play last week. It is East Carolina. So if he is good to go, which, you know, we don't have an injury tag on him, that's really appealing. But it just playing around with, with guys coming off of injuries in college football is always kind of a, a tricky tricky way of going about things. So um, I'm, I think I'll have a little bit of Harris exposure just because I think that he is just such a physical mismatch against an East Carolina team that gave up over a hundred yards of two rushers a week ago, but I'm not, I'm not going overboard for, for him necessarily. So I actually like some of these mid tier guys. Um, I like Devin a chain of Texas A&M. I don't know if it's a hot take anymore to say this, but I'm pretty sure that he's better than Isaiah Spiller. Um, in that Texas A&M backfield, I, I think that he needs to be unleashed more fully. 
Um, he's an unbelievable talent. I, you know, he really caught my eye in that North Carolina Orange Bowl a season ago, and I think that he he's just special. He's different. I think that he he might be the best A&M running back in the last decade or so if things continue to go that way. So 5,900, um, I like him, even though it is against Colorado, and I, I was throwing some doubt out there a little bit earlier. I still think that he can get it done. Uh, Malik Davis, 5,600. Obviously, Florida's quarterbacks are a bit of a of a threat to, to vulture some goal line work. Um, but Davis, I think he's still going to push for 10 to 15 carries the way that he did a week ago. And South Florida's defense is way worse than Florida Atlantic's defense. And Davis still ran, ran for 100 yards on FAU a week ago. So that this is a matchup play. This is just betting that, that Davis gets enough work and at 5,600 uh, to where he just is able to completely gash uh, that USF defense. Trevion Henderson, obviously going to be popular. Anytime that he's under 6K, I think that people are going to gravitate towards him just because of that electric ability that, that he has. So going up against Oregon, especially if Thibodeau is out, I think that Henderson's going to be really popular. I think I'll have him in a handful of lineups, but I'm, I'm not going too aggressive at him. I think that, that we might just be a little bit too hung up on the potential there versus what the actual workload projection looks like. And then uh, my, my dart throw is in that South Carolina backfield, Marshawn Lloyd, uh, 3,400. So again, I, I'm not completely expecting Kevin Harris to see a full, full workload. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, a guy who missed all of last season, but is one of their biggest recruits in years, played a little bit last weekend. I expect him to continue to be in the mix. Some people like Zaquandre White from that South Carolina backfield. I think that all three of those guys um, can potentially produce, but Lloyd, he needs the least uh, amount of production in order for him to return value. 3400 for a running back that you can play with a little bit of confidence um, can really, really change the way that you're building out your lineup. So I like Lloyd at 3400 to to round it out as far as my value RBs. All right, looking at receiver. Very balanced this week. You got like 15 guys between 6000 and and 7700 on that DraftKings main slate. Uh, you got Jordan Addison leading the way at Pittsburgh. They go at Tennessee, uh, one of the more interesting, you know, non-ranked games or ranked versus ranked games, I should say, uh, of the week. You got Chris Olave, uh, obviously, for Ohio State going up against Oregon. Jahan Dotson, who torched Wisconsin a number of times, including for one long touchdown uh, last week. Penn State gets Ball State this week. Uh, that's a 22-point spread, an over-under of 58 uh, in that one. So the, the implied total um, for Penn State is what, like, almost 40. Uh, he's yep. at 7,000. Where do you go this week? Who are the guys you like at the top? And, and, you know, give me a couple, couple value plays in the middle or, or even toward the bottom of these salaries. Yes. So, so uh, the guys at the top for, for the pass catchers, Jahan Dotson, definitely my, my number one guy, 7k. Um, I really, really like him. Uh, Tay Martin, 6,900 going up against Tulsa, especially if, if Spencer Sanders is back out there. you got to like his chances of, of producing. He saw a lot of targets in week one. Now that Tylen Wallace is gone, we, we, we're still figuring out who that true alpha is for the pokes, and I think it could be him. Um, Kevin Austin, I, he's someone that, if you talk to Notre Dame people, they've been on him for forever, um, but he it's just taken him a long time to start to live up to his potential there in South Bend, but I thought that he looked every bit as advertised uh, last week against Florida state. And it felt like they have a quarterback that can deliver the ball down the field to him. So um, 
I like Kevin Austin go 5,800 going up against Toledo. I know that Michael Meyer is someone that it's very intriguing. He's a, a beast of a tight end. Toledo probably doesn't have anyone that can match up with him, but if you want to pivot off of him while still getting some exposure to that Notre Dame pass game, I think Kevin Austin's the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> going to a couple of tight ends here, actually something that we don't usually do. Uh, Nick Muse, 4,100 against East Carolina. Um, he's kind of the focal point of that South Carolina passing game, um, regardless of, of who's back there under center, whether it's Zeb Nolan or, or Luke Doty. I think that Muse is going to be a guy that sees plenty of targets, 4,100. Got to like that. And then Brock Bowers, uh, 3,600 for Georgia going up against UAB. He's someone who, um, you know, led the team in targets, led the team in receptions a week ago against Clemson. I think that he's going to be involved again because I don't think that Georgia has really gotten all that much healthier this week as far as its other pass catching depth is concerned. So I'm looking for Bowers to be featured once again with, with an easier matchup, a matchup I think that he can take some advantage of. So 3,600 Brock Bowers, uh, think about that one as well. Is it time to look at some bets? Let's fire them up, man. What do you, what do you got? I, I don't have as many as last week that I feel great about. Um, I'm going to go Alabama on the money line against Mercer. Okay. I, I think I'm going to lock that one up. I think Alabama <laughs> takes care of business at home. Uh, I, I think we're going to go opposite ways on Ohio State, Oregon. I, I'm going to take Oregon to cover 14 and a half. And I, I know that's dicey. I know, you know, they, they didn't look great last week, but I, I also don't love what I saw from the Ohio State defense in particular. And really at times the Ohio State offense, you know, save those, those huge big plays, which, which did win the game for Ohio State. And, you know, you can't take away from the fact that, um, you know, that they have the ability to do that. I'm, I'm not saying it's fluky necessarily, but I don't think that you want to rely on winning games that way week to week, because even though Oregon, I, I don't think necessarily has the horses on defense, especially if Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't play, um, you know, to, to really go like man to man with this Ohio state offense, they at least have the speed. And that's not something that Minnesota had at all. You know, like you're, you're at least going to maybe limit a, a potential 88 yard touchdown. Maybe it's a 40 yard game because, you know, Minnesota had guys who were just outclassed from oh, a speed yeah. perspective, you know, like they're, they're like technically in position to make the play, but they gave, they gave Chris Olave uh, a little too much room and he was able to just, you know, kind of turn on the jets and, and, and run right past him. Same goes for Garrett Wilson. I, I do think, you know, Oregon can at least stick with these guys and, and prevent, you know, these massive, massive long touchdown plays they're, Ohio state's still going to get big plays. Um, but it, you know, I mean, Minnesota lost its star running back midway through that game and really didn't slow down on the ground. You know, they, 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 I think a drive or two after that marched right down and, and scored and kind of plowed right through that Ohio state defense. So, you know, I, I do think Ohio state wins the game, but I, I think Oregon's able to make this a little bit closer uh, than that spread would indicate. Yeah. And the, you know, the hook also just makes it uh, all the more tricky because it, that yeah. firms up that, that it has to be by more than two, two touchdowns for Ohio state. So I respect that one. That that's, um, Again, my, my lean is Ohio State, but that 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 um that one is not going to uh, to make my best bets uh, sec, uh, section or, or segment for for this pod. I'm I'm too on the fence about it to to lean that way. But I think you do make a very strong case when it comes to Oregon, and you know that I think you're extrapolating the right things for, from Ohio State's uh, season opening performance as well. Uh, you got anything else? I'm gonna go Iowa State on the money line. I, I think this is a really close game. Like I laid out before, I, I won't go over it again. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of an overreaction going on uh, between what happened to both these teams in week one. The bottom line is they both won. I think Iowa State is going to look a lot better 
in a game that it's going to care significantly more about uh, than it did in week one. Uh, Iowa could still look good. Uh, I, I just don't think Indiana's all that great. I think they were overrated, you know, coming into this season. Uh, so that win, well, while quality and and that's something that should be taken away. I, I don't think it's maybe as big of a deal, um, you know, as the small numbers uh, next to the team names would indicate. Totally fair. At that, so we will be on, on opposite sides of yeah. that one. That's more I, fun I do, anyway. Yeah, that, true, true. Maybe we'll have to uh, to backstage come up with some sort of small stakes uh, wager for the pod for for next week, depending on the on the result of that one. Um, but I do like Iowa money line plus one seventy. Um, elsewhere, I like Penn State minus twenty two and a half against Ball State. Um, if there's a huge number, I would I would look at this week. Boston College minus thirty seven and a half against UMass. Um, again, and I don't know if anyone w- wants to go after that, but but if you wanted to, I mean, again, I, I think that this this could be like a forty two nothing game for for Boston College. Boston College um, clearly has uh, no problem just hanging points on on uh, overmatched teams. They they did it a week ago. Wouldn't be shocked if they did it again. Temple minus six and a half consideration for me. Just that's mostly because of how bad Akron is. I know that Temple got housed by Rutgers a week ago, so that's not a ringing endorsement. But they just have to beat Akron by a touchdown. I think they can do that. Um, looking elsewhere, App State plus nine against Miami. Uh, I just I'm I'm out on Miami. I, I was ta- I've been talking about it for for weeks basically since we since we restarted. Uh, the pod here for for this for 2021. I just think that Miami's extremely fraudulent. And I think App State is extremely solid. Um, they're just a, a well-run program that you know they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, I think that they can hang on by by and make this one close. So I, I like them plus nine. Uh, North Texas uh, plus 22 and a half at SMU um, has caught my eye a little bit as well. We'll we'll see if if uh, if SMU's f- offensive firepower from a week ago carries over that then this one could wash out fairly quickly but i think the north texas keeps it just close enough that's a lot of points there for for smu to cover especially when when their defense isn't great and north texas can score the ball just a bit then last one uh leaning into another team that that again uh said i was impressed with to begin the show i like kentucky minus five at home versus Missouri. Missouri's a good team too, don't get me wrong, but I just think that Kentucky um, is going to continue to establish itself as one of the one of the country's uh, biggest like, you know, potentially resume ruiners out there. The team that you don't want to be uh, facing off against in a given week. If there's one thing we know on this podcast, it's accountability. So we should run over uh, our bets from last week. I I hit on USC, Penn State and Ohio State barely. I, you know, you mentioned the hook with Ohio State this week. That's how I uh, I ended up getting that one at 13 and a half last week. They won that game by 14. Uh, I was very, very wrong on Northwestern over Michigan State. Northwestern looked terrible. Michigan State ran right over them. That game was over early. Uh, and I was even more wrong about Ohio, uh, Oklahoma, I should say, covering that 31 and a half uh, against Tulane. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, it, a week we're feeling things out. It's just week one. Um, so uh, I think that. You know, I think you got a strong week coming up here, even even if I we do. differ I know in, I do. in a couple spots. Um, yeah, I, I took the the L pretty big on, on UNC. I think a lot of people did. Um, we both hit Alabama, of course. Um, I was on that Michigan State money line, so I was happy that that, that came through. Um, Iowa minus three. That that one felt like one of the one of the bigger layups in the week outside of Alabama. And then I can't believe it took till the very end of the pod, but. 
Shout out the Terps, man. Beating the beating the uh, beating West Virginia at home to start their year. They were home dogs, so I liked Maryland on the money line in that one. They were able to come through. Rakeem Jarrett about to be a problem for the Big Ten. So I'm kind of it's early, but I'm establishing myself as a Big Ten whisperer for the season. You're in a unique position that that I cannot claim, which is you know you have like your home state team, and then you have the school where you went to college, right? Like I. I, I can't say like, oh, I have a secondary team that I root for. Like you, you know, you have a great reason to root for both Maryland and Georgia. I know, right? I mean, you know, most of my family went to Maryland. I grew up about 15 minutes from, from campus. And they're just kind of like a, a team that I don't have to put a whole lot of emotional investment in. But but I, I can pick and choose and, and, and uh, choose to believe in them when I do. I mean, a couple of years ago, they got off to that hot start and they, they pasted a ranked Syracuse team. And, and then the, the wheels fell off the rest of the season. But um, I think that this is a Maryland team, the way that Loxley's recruited there, some of the talent they have, you know, and the, the way that Indiana's falling apart, it seems like it, it wouldn't shock me if Maryland, and this is where the ceiling is for, for the program, at least right now, but they could be the fourth best team in the, in the Big Ten East, and that I feel like that would be an accomplishment. So, yeah, I mean, I do like pulling for the Terps. They're kind of like my, my little college football pet. That's how I feel about EWGB basketball. They, they had one really good year when I was in high school and I, I was hooked ever since then. They've been like horrible and I've never even gotten close. Like they didn't even make the tournament that year, but it was like, that's how bad they had been that like mm-hmm. they finished like third in the horizon league. And that was a, a really big deal uh, for, for my friends and I in green Bay, but no, I don't, I don't think I'll ever understand. Like most of my family went to like Fox Valley technical college, uh, which, which is not competing in major college football at this time. Um, but I, I'm jealous. I, I'm jealous that you have a secondary team. Like I would love to have had a team to fall back on after what happened to Wisconsin on Saturday. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we might have to have to identify what one for you. We got to think of, of what good ingredients there are for, to make up that, that secondary team that, that can be sort of your, uh, yeah. emotional support squad. Yeah. I, I think it used to be Virginia tech for some reason. I was very attached to Virginia tech football in, in middle school. I used to, I had a framed photo of like the Hokie mascot in my room. For some reason I had a, uh, I was like, a, like they had that, they had that cornerback, Jimmy Williams, who I, I think ended up being like a second round pick of the Falcons didn't do much in the NFL, mm-hmm. but like, for some reason I was like, this is my guy. And like, I obviously couldn't talk to anybody at school about him. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared about Virginia tech football, but I mean, some about the colors. I don't know. Around that time, they had that like mini rivalry with Miami. They would wear like special jerseys for that game, where like only with, one sleeve. With the shoulder. Was yeah. yeah. Like, oh man. I mean, I, I was like very in on like Marcus Vick being the next big thing. That that kind of backfired on me. <laughs> no, Virginia Tech. They they had a run there. They they were pretty cool for a minute. They um, were really cool. So I, I got to give you that, that that's um, we got to find another analog to, to that. Although maybe this year, I mean, they just beat UNC. Maybe, maybe you can uh, dust that off, dust off the, uh, the old yeah. Hokie. Um, I'm picturing like the, uh, that Wolverine meme where he, where he's laying down and looking at the picture. <laughs> yeah. It would just literally be a picture of the Hokie bird. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, man, we got to wrap this thing up. I very big sports weekend ahead of us. Uh, not only college football, but NFL week one, uh, Jags Texans on Sunday. I mean, what what an opener. Uh, Packers are playing at at my home field, TIAA Bank in Jacksonville, neutral site game. Uh, <laughs> Ravens are are Sunday night in Vegas, right? Monday night in Vegas. Night. So uh, I got I got some some concerns about that game, but uh, I'll, I'll get into that on the, on the old uh, NFL pod tomorrow. 
Yeah, I uh, I looked into tickets for that game. I, I, I'm going to stay an extra day or two after this bachelor party out there j- just to hang because, as, as you know, hotels in Vegas are ridiculously cheap when it's not a Friday or a Saturday. It's like mm-hmm. they're, they're like paying you to stay there. Um, but I was like, oh, you know what? That'd be cool. Maybe I could, could go to the first game with fans at, at the Raider Stadium. Absolutely not. It, it would have been like two years of a Rotowire salary for one ticket. <laughs> I was looking into that too because it. Uh, my dad's turning sixty this month, so I was like, oh, that would have been really sick to to get out there. But take, take yeah, the ab- absolutely no way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be really fun. Looking forward to it. I will be posted up at some sports book somewhere in Las Vegas all day Sunday. Uh, I know we're in a bit of a compromised position here in the state of Wisconsin, which has emphatically rejected all movement for for any kind of sports betting or sports betting apps. But uh, if you need any investments made. On, on your behalf, you know, you know where to reach me. Yeah, Georgia hasn't been great on, on that front either. So uh, good to know, sir. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.